Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Welcome to The Jump. I am Rachel Nichols, joined by our senior writer, Zach Lowe, and NBA champion, Richard Jefferson. He is sweatpant-free. America should know that. Coming up, the NBA is changing from Spalding to Wilson as the official game ball for 2021. I'll ask Richard how much players actually care about that sort of thing. It might be more than you expect. First, though, let's talk about Scotty Pippen. He went from the equipment manager on his college team to a Hall of Fame basketball player. He's a six-time champ who made 10, count them, 10 all-defensive teams. And personally, I'm just always so, so proud to say he's become an integral part of our family here at The Jump. Zach, you have a piece that just came out today on the ESPN app about his legacy. Can you give us some insight into what you discovered? Well, the reason I wrote the piece is because I was writing other pieces about the Last Dance Bulls and other Bulls stuff, and I just kept hearing everyone I talked to would just randomly bring up how much they loved Scotty. They would use that word love over and over again. I said, I have to figure out what's going on here and why they loved him so much as a teammate. So a lot of that piece is about what he meant to the team, how he balanced Michael Jordan's kind of harsh style of leadership, how he picked people up when they were down. But as a, as a basketball player, the guy's the greatest number two guy of all time. And that's not a backhanded compliment. That makes him more valuable than some guys who are number one options on mediocre teams or teams that don't get very far in the playoffs. If you were building a number two guy in a lab, you would build Scottie Pippen. Now, if you were building a number one guy, you'd build Michael Jordan. So Scotty got lucky to play with the best number one guy ever, but you couldn't have a better number two option. No, I, I, I agree with, with, uh, with what you say, Zach. I think his, his legacy is very, very complicated because he wanted that opportunity to be the number one guy. And you can say he had a year and a half. And I think that's where some of that, you know, Tony Kukoc getting that last shot, some of that anger. And even Scotty said, if I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't change a thing because as much as he's been considered the best number two player of all time, he wanted that opportunity to be a number one player. So I think his legacy, yes, he is loved. And even he said that he needed Michael Jordan to be that bad guy, to be that enforcer. So he took on the role of helping to lift up other players. But I think his, his legacy is a little bit more complicated. Zach, it was interesting. Of all the quotes from Michael Jordan in this documentary so far, it hasn't been the raciest or spiciest quote, but one of the very first things he says in the first episode is, if you speak Michael Jordan, you have to speak Scottie Pippen. He just says right out there, for all the little backs and forth after that, there is no MJ the way we know him without Scotty. And of course, Scotty didn't win a title without Michael there when he took his baseball break, but Michael did not win a title without Scotty Pippen. Zach, how do you think Michael Jordan, his legacy, his history would be different if it wasn't Scotty Pippen next to him? I think Michael was so great. I mean, look, who is next to him? Who replaces Scottie Pippen? I think Michael was so great that eventually he's going to reach the mountaintop and probably reach it multiple times. But do you go 6-0 and in the finals? Do you essentially never lose in the playoffs other than the year you come back from baseball? Once he started winning, once they started winning, they essentially never lost again. And I don't know if you have that level of consistency without a number two guy who complimented him on and off the court as perfectly as Scottie did. 
Yeah, and, and, and Scotty, the defense that Scotty played, that was the most impressive. We know he can score. We knew he was a great facilitator. But when you look at, when you look at the toughness that Michael Jordan brought and how he brought it on both ends of the floor, the fact that you had one of the great defenders, Scotty wasn't just a number two player. He is one of the great perimeter defenders, probably top five, top three all time. So that just complimented MJ so, so well. And that's what made their team, especially come playoff time, so difficult to beat that the two best players on the floor typically were the two best defenders also. So Richard, which player today would you say most resembles Pip on the court? Honestly, it's tough. I would say, you know, Paul George, uh, Kawhi Leonard. I think those two guys, you have to look at great two-way players, guys that play the game. Um, I I, I would say Kawhi is is better than Paul George, uh, but I think both of them bring so much defensive intensity and offensive, you know, focus. And I think that's why the Clippers were so excited. You had the best probably two-way players, maybe Anthony Davis, but on the perimeter end, you had the two best. I think I think Kawhi is probably past Scotty just in terms of what he can do offensively with the ball. To me, in terms of impact, Paul George is the better comparison because Paul George, I think, is the best number two guy in the 2020 NBA. But if you want to get Scotty Pippen, like what, what stylistically Paul George and Scotty Pippen are different, if you could somehow mix Paul George and Draymond Green, and by the way, in the mixture, Paul George's three point shot gets like a lot worse and they meet in the middle. That comes <laughs> close. That wait, comes wait, close. Zach, Zach, that Zach, comes I'm close sorry, to what Scotty Pippen is. Zach, Zach. Draymond Green? Zach, come on. And this is, first of all, before everybody goes crazy, I'm not here, I'm not knocking Draymond Green. That's not, that's not what this is. But that comparison, Zach, that comparison. If you mix them, if you mix them, if you mix them and create one player. But, but, but part of, but part of Draymond's Green, like superhero power is his intensity and his focus and his aggression and all that. That was never Scotty. So you're saying the best part of Draymond Green was never a part of Scotty's game. Like, I'm saying, I love you. I'm saying the multi-positional defense, the two-time defensive player of the year, the guy who can guard one through five, that part of Draymond Green's game, and the playmaking, too. Look, the temperament of Paul George is something you guys have both mentioned. The fact that he was comfortable, say, on a team with Russell Westbrook. Draymond Green, Draymond, that's not a knock. That's not a knock, Draymond. When people send this to you, I'm not knocking. Yes, it is. It is a knock. It is a knock. No, I compare compare Draymond more to Dennis Rodman than I would to Scottie Pippen a million times. The defensive, the selflessness that he plays, his mindset to the game is far closer to Dennis Rodman than to ever compare him to Pippen. That is not, and that is not disrespectful. I just, I love you, Zach. Richard Jefferson joins the show, and it's immediately off the rails, which is why we love you. For more on Scotty, Jordan, and the rest of the Bulls, watch the final two episodes of The Last Dance Sunday starting at 9 o'clock Eastern, the uncensored version on ESPN and the app. As my 9-year-old daughter says, that man uses a lot of bad words, so the edited mature language version is on ESPN2. Coming up, more of Richard Jefferson's thoughts on Draymond Green. No, just kidding. Someone is feeling spicy, though. On Instagram Live, Kyrie Irving said he would like to play Kemba Walker in one-on-one. Hmm, would the people of Boston tune in for that? How would it look if these two met in a playoff setting? We'll explore that next. First, though, it's time for our distant replays from this date in NBA history. And you will see Richard Jefferson in this clip roll. Take a look. Going to the basket. 87 85. And Phillips, what a block! Blocked by Richard Jefferson with 2.9. Oh, get that shot. Oh, they did. 
The play of the game with Billups looking to tie the game and Richard Jefferson coming out of nowhere to spot it away. And a great deal of time studying the game, practicing together, a Portland turnover. Look at the speed of Leonard! He drops it in high! Oh my goodness. When you got the hammer, you gotta pop it! Oh no, he didn't. I'm with the Jack. I'll go with the name. The Jump is brought to you by Ameriprise Financial, helping you navigate today to stay on track for tomorrow. And Gillette, the best a man can get. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Though we're apart these days, we're sharing more. So at Geico, we'd like to say thanks. Thanks for sharing your savage dance moves. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircut fails. Thanks for sharing your inner lip sync star. Now it's our turn to share with the Geico Give Back, a 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for current and new customers. Because we're committed for the long haul, the 15% credit lasts your full policy term. Visit geico.com slash giveback for more info and eligibility. The third UFC event in Jacksonville this week is available on ESPN and the app. Main card starts at 9 o'clock Eastern Saturday night with a great prelim card starting at 6 Eastern. And now this, you know, John Oliver style. Me and K-Walk, that's, that's, that's my matchup. I want K-Walk, that's my big bro. I want K-Walk, bro. <laughs> that's my big bro. I, you know, you know, we got mutual respect, but I know everybody wants to see it out of New York, New Jersey. Every time we play against each other, it's always a game. And he gave me, he gave, he gave us forty. I gave him forty. It back and forth, like that's that's part of just where we grew up. Richard and Zach, you wow, heard the wow. man. Kyrie wants all the smoke that comes with facing Kemba in a playoff series. So, Richard, what do you think of that and who would have the upper hand if they met in the postseason? Look, I, I think one of the few people that we can actually compare Kyrie and his handle and his ability for body control is Kemba. But make no mistake, Kyrie Irving is one of the best offensive players and one of the most complete offensive players this league has seen. He posts up guys that are bigger. I'm not, he's one of the best perimeter players. I'm not talking about point guards, perimeter players in this league. I think it would be a great matchup, but I don't think that's one I would see going well for Kemba Walker. So, so the, the Nets would play the Celtics, right? It's not a one-on-one game we're talking about. We're talking about a, a team playing another team. In that case, I'm not sure that Kyrie Irving really wants any part of this matchup until Kevin Durant comes back. And when Kevin Durant comes back, whenever that is, then it's a whole different ball game. But I think the Celtics would wipe the floor with the Nets this year. Wipe uh, the I, floor? I agree. With the current Brooklyn Nets, yes. I wipe the floor. I don't know. 4-1? Whatever you call 4-1. Gentlemen's sweep. That would, that's what... I'm just checking. You're talking big talk. I'm just checking what you're saying. 
4-1, Celtics win. But the, Kyrie and Kemba probably play each other to a watch. Uh, I think Kyrie's probably a little bit better of a playoff player just because, as RJ said, he's bigger. He can get his shot off a little more easily. He can get his shot off in different ways. But team matchup, it's Boston this season. When KD comes back, it's a different story. Richard, knowing Kyrie like you know him, were you surprised he went out and said that? No, they're uh, uh, Kemba's <laughs> from Mount Vernon. Kyrie's a Jersey guy. They grew up. One went to Connecticut. Other one went to Duke. They're they're East Coast guys. You know, they grew up in that area. So I think they want to see it. The people in in the community want to see it. I really think that that's how it's being viewed right now. So you know, look, it's all in good fun. There wasn't no trash talking. He's saying this is what the people want to see, and he hopes at some point in time to give it to the people. From your lips, Richard Jefferson, from your lips. All right, last week, Tim McMahon reported that Rockets coach Mike D'Antoni would coach if the NBA season resumes. Despite that, because he is 69, he is, of course, at a higher risk for serious complications if he contracted COVID-19. Now, Mike did say he would wear a mask on the sidelines while coaching, but Zach, he's not under contract for next season either way. Do you see the Rockets bringing him back to see this Russ and James Harden experiment through? Well, the buzz, as you said, all season the reporting has been that he's in trouble and he's probably not going to get that job back next year. Now, everything is unknown now. Like, whether there are games is unknown now. If the Rockets win the championship, that could change that. But, you know, barring a, a, the Houston really overperforming in the playoffs, getting further than we expect, I do think Mike's in trouble. And I don't think that's fair. I think Mike D'Antoni's done a great job. He's adapted stylistically. He's adapted to different kinds of personnel. They have centers, then they don't have centers. They're running pick and roll. Now they run no pick and roll. Russell Westbrook's coming in. And they've done nothing but win a lot of games. And so I don't know really what the rush is to get rid of Mike D'Antoni. I agree with Zach. I don't know who the new GM is going to be in Houston. Richard. Uh, but, Richard. but I firmly believe what? <laughs> I, I, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think that just GM should definitely Morey look. Just under that bus? Yeah, Richard just uh, filed, Dar- fired Daryl Morey right on amazing. the spot. <laughs> I'm just saying that whoever the GM is going to be, he should take a hard look at D'Antoni and talk to the players and talk to management and see what it, and see what he wants to do. And if D'Antoni is still the right guy, look, if the players vouch for him, then that's one thing, but you got to get results and they've had a ton of talent and, you know, they are hamstring away from possibly going to the NBA finals. So I don't really think that Daryl, uh, that, uh, D'Antoni, uh, should be just kind of uh, cast away. I think you should take a hard look at and whoever the new GM should probably do that. It is such a strange situation because Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets did have an agreement on the table for an extension. So the will to have him continue was there. Um, D'Antoni's agent ultimately decided that it involved so much cost-cutting, Zach, I'm going to put it that way. It wasn't a good contract for him to sign. It wasn't a good example for other coaches around the league. But Now it seems he's definitely on the way out, which is a strange feeling to have about a team that we're also talking is in the title chase. And look, if they don't resume games this season, it's possible we have already seen Mike D'Antoni's last game coaching the Houston Rockets. It is bizarre, but I do know that if he doesn't coach with Houston, I feel pretty good somebody will offer him another job somewhere else. All right, coming up, we're celebrating a couple of infamous anniversaries on this date in NBA history and discussing the ramifications from those dust-ups. Keep it locked on the jump. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. 
Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Coming up next, it's First Take Extra. Jalen and Jacoby is at 4, highly questionable, and around the horn. A two-hour sports center is at 5 o'clock Eastern with the PTI guys joining at 5.30. And we cap the night with SVP. And right now, it's crunch time here on The Jump. The NBA is going to start using Wilson Graham basketballs with the 2021-2022 season. Spalding and the NBA have mutually agreed to part ways following a partnership that had lasted since 1983. Now, this is important. Wilson says it will be using the same leather and specs as its predecessor. Because, guys, remember when the league tried to change the ball from leather to microfiber back in 2006? Players hated it. They went back to the old ball by the time the 2007 season rolled around. Richard, as a player, how much would you care about this change this time? Well, no, the, the, everyone's going to care about it because at the end of the day, remember players' fingers were, were cracking because of the leather and it was a synthetic leather and it was too expensive and they wanted to make basketballs that could also be sold uh, to the public versus just a pure NBA ball. One thing that I'll say with Wilson is they're going to do a great job. Uh, it's going to be fine, but I guarantee this. The first iteration of that ball, the first version of that ball will not be the one that the players end up playing with. It's going to take them one or two ch- times to get it right. Interesting. I just hope it feels the same way because I don't want a repeat of what happened, RJ. That was a disaster last time. I just hope they do very, very careful. Can make it feel the same. <laughs> Guys always well, break in the balls, right? During training camp, all the, the yes. teams get a set of balls to break in, and those are what's used throughout the season. So I guess there yeah, would be yes. some back and forth with it. Richard, when you got those new balls in your hand, it's people think, oh, a fresh new ball. You guys don't like those, actually, right? No, they no. You don't take a ball. You don't take a ball take it out of the uh, out of like the box and toss it up. These balls you have to like work them in and that's the thing. That's where the old balls you were starting to notice a difference. It's like once you played with it for a month, two months and typically you break them in in training camp, they they weren't breaking in the same way and you can say whatever you want. If you shoot with one type of basketball for 10 years, for 6 years, for 8 years, whatever it is, and then they switch the ball and there is the the smallest difference in leather and texture. It can affect your hands, it can affect your shot it can affect so many things. And yes, they will adjust back to it, but there was a big, everybody remembers the big stink that happened because there was a difference in the ball. So it's going to take them a little bit of time to master the ball, but I'm, I'm confident in Wilson. Don't switch around the toys. The guys don't like it when you take their toys. All right, let's talk about Mm-mm. Ennis Cantor. He spoke with Stadium and revealed that he has an offer to become a pro wrestler with the WWE following his NBA career. So, Zach... Should Cantor be a babyface or a heel in the WWE? So here's exactly what would happen. They would position him as a heel, and he would be so charismatic and so funny that he would immediately become popular. We've seen it happen with other stars before, Steve Austin, The Rock. That's what would happen with that is Cantor. He'd be too funny and too cool to be a heel. I, I couldn't agree more. He's definitely going to start out at the heel. And I, I, anybody that knows me, I enjoy the heel, right? I think that <laughs> stuff is fun. And, and look, look, he's like the Iron Sheik. He's going, like, it's going to be just fine. I think in his cancer, I think people don't fully understand how charismatic, how funny, how good of a teammate he is. And so whatever he does after basketball, if it's WWE, uh, WWF, whatever it is, he's going to be fine. 
I was going to say, Richard, that several of your former teammates might say that you were, in fact, the heel, but I think they would use different language even than that, so I'm just going to leave it be. This is a family show. Wow. Yeah, that's um, very true. That, I, that's completely accurate, Rachel, completely accurate. I want to get to some notable anniversaries from this date in NBA history. In 1997, P.J. Brown flipped Charlie Ward into the stands. Oh, I remember this one. Causing a brawl that made a bunch of Knicks players come off the bench and get, let's just say, involved. Five Knicks players suspended while only Brown was suspended for the Heat. The Knicks, of course, you know this phrase, blew a 3-1 lead in that series. Then 10 years later in 2007, the famous hip check from Robert Horry into Steve Nash in the Western Conference Finals caused Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw to react, get off the bench, which triggered suspensions for both of them for leaving, quote, the immediate vicinity of their bench. And the Suns, of course, lost that series. The Spurs went on to win the title. So, Richard, we've seen this cost teams in the past. We've seen guys as recently as C.J. McCollum suspended for this just a couple years ago. Should these penalties for leaving the bench be reduced in today's NBA? I don't think it should be reduced because then all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, again, you're talking about the most intense moments, the playoffs. That's when uh, guys have their most, they're, they're most fired up, they're most juiced up, they're most ready to go and play. And you're t- more trying to protect the audience because when these guys start fighting and they start spilling into the crowd, all it takes is for one injury, something like that to happen. Do I think that, that they need to modify, like, hey, if you take two steps up because that's your initial reaction, then I think that's fine. It's if people go onto the court and get into the middle of something, even as a peacemaker. But if you just jump up like, yo, what's going on? And take a step, I don't think that that should warrant a suspension. A fine, but not a suspension. Yeah, the NBA has a reason to make this a black and white rule, right? Richard nailed it. They're so paranoid about another malice in the palace happening. But this is like, Rachel, you quoted it right away. Immediate vicinity. Like, it's not hard to find language that says if you just get up and kind of take a glance, take a step, you're basically like rubbernecking a traffic accident. You're not doing anything. You shouldn't get suspended for that. It's stu- I understand why they, they feel like we've got to have a rigid black and white stance, but it's really not that hard to write language. It says if you just kind of don't, you just take a couple steps, you just look, you shouldn't get suspended for that. It's not because people who are in the scrum doing much more than you don't end up getting suspended, and you do, and that just looks stupid. Right. And and there's been a little leniency on this, a little bit. Kevin Love in the 2018 finals, he did technically leave leave the bench, but it was to go talk to the officials sort of about a side issue during what was going on on the court. Right, Richard? So it was one of those things where they kind of let him, I don't say let him slide, but it was the first time I've seen them kind of not be so black and white because of that sting of the malice in the palace and, and what everyone was sort of feeling some kind of way about. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. When you look at the Kevin Love situation, he was talking about a play that happened before the referee was in the vicinity. He goes and says something to the referee and then the situation happens. Zach is right. You want this to be black, you, you want this to be black and white, but ultimately that's going to be difficult. I think you should just look at it. I, I would say case by case basis, you should tell players do not leave the bench, right? I would say do that, but then just tell teams that you it's are going though, to reevaluate. Right? Isn't there some human nature? It's hard. There is, but, but I'm saying that you can tell teams, you can tell teams that, hey, we're going to reevaluate the suspension policy because obviously you see Steve Nash get hip checked by a player and that cost his team the championship because two guys stepped up to go check on his guy. And I know Amari famously said that he was going to go check in the game anyway. I, I actually didn't mind that excuse. <laughs> you just got to have a coach that blocks people on the sidelines like Taylor Jenkins used to do, the expert bench blocker. You got to have right. that guy. You got to have that one coach. 
<laughs> Look, every team should have one. That's the bottom line. All right, guys, thank you so much. I'll let you continue to talk about Draymond Green and Scotty Pippen off camera. We'll see all the rest of you tomorrow. Bye.